Now, every evening and every time we gather, we uh, gather with Taunton via video. So why don't we welcome them in at our Taunton campus. They're watching via video. Enjoying the Job series with us. It's good to have you with us, Taunton. I hope that you're enjoying it as much as we are. I'm sure you are. So uh, let's get into it. Everybody has what I like to call a ferometer. A ferometer. A device within them to help them determine what is fair and what is unfair. And this instrument, I think, kicks in at the age of about four years old, the ferometer. And you notice it for the first time when you pour two glasses of soda and the four-year-old comes down to eye level, knowing science and the era of parallax already, comes down to science uh, to eye level to see which glass is the fullest or at least to make sure that they're both the same. You've seen that happen? There's a sense of fairness, a sense of justice, a sense that nobody should be shortchanged, especially not me. <laughs> and if they're not equal, which one will they choose? The one that's the fullest. Otherwise, they'll complain to the one who's providing the soda. The person is providing the service. So there's a sense of comparison, a sense of trying to determine what is right and what is wrong. Fairness, the fairometer kicks in. And that carries on through life. And that's something that every parent has to deal with with their children. Is uh, when your child starts saying, it's not fair. It's not fair, mommy. Why do you get to stay up till nine o'clock at night? And so we see this fairometer kicking in. And it's something that, that we live with for the rest of our lives. The fairometer. And you'll hear adults, even adults will complain about things not being fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And it's true. There are many things in life that just aren't fair. Some things are fair. Some things aren't fair. And we are challenged with this every day. Now, when a person looks at what is fair and what is unfair, you could look at what is unfair, you look at what is fair, and then you look at what is favorable. From unfair to fair to favorable. So unfair is if you get the shorter glass of soda. Fair is if they're both the same. Favorable is when you get the fullest one. And so what do we prefer, fairness or favor? Favor. We prefer favor. So fairness works well if it's to my advantage. It works well to my advantage. What we, what we prefer over fairness is favor. Now, that's interesting. It gives us a glimpse into our character. Although everybody talks about equitable rights and uh, everybody should have equal rights and everything should be equal and even distribution, what we actually prefer is favor. We prefer to be favored. We like to be the favorite. We feel good about that. We don't feel too bad about the one who's being shortchanged because we feel good about it. There's something great about, feel, about being the favorite about being the one who receives the favor. It's a good feeling. And so we enjoy that. We enjoy being the favorite. Who was the teacher's pet at class? And in the front, of course. <laughs> Notebook ready, taking notes. <laughs> and uh, some people love that. They love to be the favorite. They love to be called upon or noticed. We all, uh, we all love favor. And the thing is about life is that things just aren't fair. And poor old Job went from being a favorite and went from having favor to complete unfairness in his eyes. 
So what happened was, you've, you've, I'm sure you've heard the story up until now, was Job was the greatest man in all the East. It almost seemed that he was a favorite of God. So when the devil presented himself before God, God pointed out and boasted about one specific man. He said, have you seen my servant Job? Boasting and raving about this guy, as though, it's, as though Job was his favorite. Have you seen him? He's just great. There's no one like him. And Job lived the life of the favorite. He lived a life of favor. Ten beautiful children. Ten families uh, that, that just had a great life together. Good wife. Loaded beyond comparison. Incredibly wealthy. And he went from being full of favor and enjoying the favor of God to complete disfavor and unfairness. And so through his discussion with the three friends, he complains about how things are unfair. And he complains, and the more his friends provoke him, and the more they tell him that he deserves what he's living in now, and the more he says, no, I don't deserve this. I am righteous. I haven't done anything wrong. The more he complains about it, the more it's, it's like he complains about how unfair the situation is. Now, he doesn't have a toddler's language or the language of today, which is Facebook and Twitter, trying to squeeze everything into 140 characters or, in, or an emoticon, an emoji, you know, sad face or grizzly face. You know, he used a lot of words, so he didn't come up with the word unfair or use the word unfair. But you read about the way he's talking and the way the last friend confronts him, Elihu confronts him, and he says, this is what he says. Let's read a couple of the lines here. Uh, in Job chapter 33, Elihu is, conf is confronting him, and he says, But you, you, Job, you have said in my hearing, I heard the very words. You said, I am pure and without sin. I am clean and free from guilt, yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. Unfair. I haven't done anything wrong. It wasn't my fault. Why, am I, why do I have to do this? <coughs> Excuse me. Why do I have to pick up my brother's clothes? I didn't wear them. It's not fair. I haven't done anything wrong. Why? Why am I suffering like this? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not guilty. Unfair. The next chapter, Elihu confronts him again, and he says, Job says, I'm innocent, but God denies me justice. Although I'm right, I'm considered a liar. Although I'm guiltless, his arrow inflicts an incurable wound. Unfair. It's not fair. It's not fair, God. It's not fair, friends supposedly trying to comfort me. And Elihu confronts him on this. And he says, you're saying these things. You better be careful, Job. You better be careful. So he confronts him on this. Very interesting. And uh, Job goes through this thing where he thinks that life is unfair. He goes from favor to unfair, living in this position of being absolutely unfair. And many times we find ourselves in situations which just seem unfair. And it might be in our own lives or it might be in the lives of people that we know and that we love. It might be people in Africa. It might be people in India. Is it, unfair, is it fair or unfair that people are born into poverty? They don't have a choice. They didn't deserve it. It's unfair. It's unfair that people are born into a world where they will be oppressed. It's unfair that a child is born to a mom who's addicted to crack cocaine. And through birth, through the womb is addicted to drugs. It's unfair. It's unfair that children are born into a nation that is riddled with war and poverty and will have no parents, and the only kind of comfort that they will have is from a guy who enslaves them, brainwashes them to use a machine gun. It's unfair. 
We in our own lives have situations which are perhaps not that extreme, but which feel unfair. And it might be to do with how we look, how we feel, the kind of things that our bodies react to. We might be sick. Perhaps you're not able to have children. Perhaps you're not fit. Perhaps you've got a defect or a dysfunction somewhere within your body. It's not fair. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not fair. Why do I have to live with this? might be that you're born, that you have a child born into your family who is not normal the way that the world would describe normal. And you didn't do anything to deserve it. It's unfair. It might be that you're dyslexic. You can't read properly. So you have to put in extra effort where everybody else is able to just read easily and you struggle. It's unfair. So many situations in life just seem unfair. And what do we do about it? How do we respond to it? You know what was unfair? The cross. The cross was unfair. Think about this. Jesus Christ, King of kings, God, Lord of lords, seated in heaven, enjoying the comfort of heaven, the space of heaven, the purity, the righteousness, the wholesomeness of heaven. He leaves it and He comes to earth, born into a manger, a baby, helpless, This is God, born into a manger, helpless, not a palace, not a comfortable clinic, nothing like that, no medical, no nothing, grows up, he's on the run from people who want to kill him at birth. He grows up as the son of a carpenter. He grows up, not a wealthy life, nothing special about it. As he leaves home, he leaves home not to go to his own home or to pursue his own career, he has no home, homeless. He even says so. He says, I have no place to lay my head. His friends desert him. People want to kill him. He's misrepresented. People misrepresent him and say that he said this, whereas whereas he never said that. They lie about the things that he said and did. His own friends turn on him. One of the men who he kept closest to him over three years betrays him. A traitor. Sells him out for a bit of money. One of his other friends who says, Jesus, I'm going to stick closer to you than a brother. I will never turn my back on you. That friend turns his back on him. Jesus goes through terror. At any point, he could have said, this is unfair. Not only did mankind turn on him, the very people that he loved and the people that he came to comfort, the people that he came to redeem and came to save, God turned his back on Jesus. And Jesus didn't do anything wrong. That is unfair. Jesus cries out on the cross and he says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why? That was unfair. Jesus cries out, why is this happening? Why have you turned your back on me? That is unfair. He gets killed, murdered by the people that he loved. Put into the grave. Satan seemingly has victory. Seemingly has victory. But Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, doesn't rest in that grave for too long. But on the third day, he rises up and he overcomes injustice. He overcomes unfairness. He rises up. 
He ascends to the right hand of God the Father. He sits down. He says, it is finished. It is finished. Injustice is finished. So Jesus was treated unfairly. He went through all of this. And he was the one who deserved it the least of all. None of us are innocent. And that's what Elihu says to Job. He he confronts Job in a loving way, in a way differently to the first three friends. And he says, true, you haven't done anything wrong. You haven't, uh, there are no specific things that you can point to. You have lived a good and moral upright life. But within your heart, you are now sinning against God. Your pride has overcome you. You think that you can complain against God. You think that you can tell God this is unfair. And so he complains against God. And what does God do after Elihu speaks? He speaks. And he speaks from the midst of a storm. And he speaks and he puts a bit of a cross voice on. Let's look at a couple of the things that he says. If you have your Bible, um, and if you've been reading this, you may have read this in in, uh, Job chapter 38. The Lord answers Job, and this is the first point at which the Lord speaks directly to Job through this whole, through this whole drama. This is the first point that he speaks directly. And he says, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge, referring to Job's friends? Then he says to Job, brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. In other words, you've been complaining about what's fair and what's unfair. Now let me ask you a couple of questions. And he starts. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together. While all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. And so the Lord asks Job question after question, and Job is speechless. There is nothing he can say. So the Lord asks Job these questions about nature, all these questions about nature. And then, he's, then he moves on from nature and he talks about the constellations. He talks about the stars, the things that we can only see from afar. And he says, what do you know about this? Who, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And Job is speechless. There's nothing he can say. Then he moves on and he says, what about nature? He talks about animals and he talks about birth and he talks about wildlife. And then he just keeps moving on from one topic to the next, none of which Job is able to respond to. Eventually the Lord is quiet And it gives Job an opportunity to respond. And let's see what Job says. The Lord says to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God of being unfair, that's my inverted commas, answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice but I will say no more. Then the Lord speaks to him again. He says, brace yourself like a man. It's not over yet. And he goes for it again. And he asks them all these questions. And poor Job has to listen to this. And what happens is that Job suddenly realizes that he is not the one to determine what is fair and what is unfair. God is. God determines what is fair and what is unfair because he is mighty and he is powerful. 
If a child comes to, if your child comes to you as an adult and complains about things being fair or unfair, sometimes for the sake of the child, we will answer and reason it out. Other times we will say, this is what I've decided and this is what you need to accept. I remember when my wife and I came onto eldership at the church that we were part of in South Africa, the, the pastor and his wife sat us down and they just spoke through a couple of expectations. And one of the things that they said in that meeting, uh, is, there were a number of elders, there were a number of young people who were brought onto eldership and they said, listen, we want you to understand something right from the beginning. We're not going to treat all of you the same. We will treat you differently based on who you are, where you are, and what we believe your future entails. So don't compare yourself with others expecting and complaining when you see us giving them something and you don't receive the same treatment. When they said that, they, they kind of separated us from them and they said, we have the power and the authority to determine what is fair and what is unfair, not you. They said it out right at the beginning and that was good for us to hear that. So when we saw other people going away on a holiday at the church's expense or something like that, or being sent off on a trip or a conference and we just stayed at home week after week, month after month, never being blessed with any of these favors, we would say to ourselves, it's okay. We know they love us because that's what they said. And that's what we knew, that this pastor and his wife loved us. They really, truly loved us. They prayed for us. They believed and dreamed more about our future than we ourselves did. So because of our belief in their love for us and in their authority over us, we didn't question the fairness or unfairness of the decisions that they made. Does that make sense? Now sometimes our children need to understand the same thing. Because the one gets something doesn't mean the other one should. We know them better than they even know themselves. So we bless them, we favor them in different ways and at different times. It would be silly to be absolutely equitable with our children. My son, for instance, I don't know if you saw him tonight, but he is drawn and captivated by the drum set. He's only one and a half years old, but he loves drums. He's got a couple of sticks at home and a mini drum set at home, and the first words out of his mouth in the morning are boom, boom, bang. <laughs> he just loves drums. My daughter's okay with them. She'll tap around a little bit. But she wouldn't like it if we bought her a drum set. That would be fair. If you get a drum set, you get a drum set. That would be fair, right? Be the right thing to do. No. Doesn't make sense. Now she could complain and say, why don't I have a drum set? Which she did. When the drum set came home, she was pretty put out. <laughs> her nose was out of joint. And it wasn't specifically about the drum set. It was just that she didn't get anything. But she's older. She gets something almost every time we go out. She's a presence person, supposedly. You know this love language nonsense. <laughs> I'm a gifts person. <laughs> Not filling my love tank. I need more presents. <laughs> so anyway, it's legitimate, I think. She really, is a, she really does feel loved with every time she gets a gift. So, uh, so that's the thing. We, there's this, it's not about equitable distribution all the time. And the thing is, is that we know that in this world, life is not fair. But Jesus suffered the ultimate unfairness so that we could identify with Him. So we could say, Jesus, you've gone through something here. And the reason He did that was to pour out favor on us. 
He chose a position where he was unfairly treated so that he could pour out favor on us. What is that favor? It's salvation. Teacher's pet. (laughs) It's salvation. It's drawing close to God. It's being set free from sin. It's an internal inheritance. It's heaven. It's a relationship with God Almighty. It's the comfort of the Holy Spirit so that we can withdure unfairness in this life because we know that there is a justice, there is a future, there is a hope that is coming. If this life is all we have to live in, and if we don't get stuck with the fair portion and we live the unfair life, what is the point? (coughs) We're Christians, and we live in favor just because you live in the West, because you live in the United States, friends, you live with favor. Let me tell you that. If you've been to other countries, you will realize how favored you are. This country is so incredible. And I can say to somebody who's just moved here, we love it. Every day we love it more and more. We love America. We love New England. We love this weather. <laughs> we love the snow. All of it is a novelty. All of it we love. We feel like we are enjoying the favor of God. Friends, somehow, and I don't think it's because you deserve it, you live in a country that enjoys the favor of God. Go to Somalia. Go to Sudan. Go to Libya. Go to the Middle East. They certainly don't seem to be the favorites. It's not fair. We enjoy the favor of God. And it's not by our own doing, I don't think. Perhaps it is. Who can tell? Who can work these things out? I can't. I can't tell God what's fair and what's not fair. What I know is that Jesus endured what was not fair so that we could find favor with God. So that we could become His favorites. I feel like I'm one of God's favorites. I know He doesn't have favorites. But I feel like that. Do you? Do you feel like you're one of God's favorites? Let me tell you, you are. We're all His favorites. If you're a Christian, if you believe in God, Jesus died for you. He gave up everything for you so that you could have a full, whole, wonderful, tremendous relationship with God in spite of the circumstances you find yourself living in. Now, it doesn't end there. It doesn't just end with us being able to say, oh, God, I love you. I'm able to enjoy a life with you. Thank you for that favor. It doesn't end there. It extends into our life here on earth, no matter what kind of circumstance we find ourselves in. Let me propose a situation to you. Let's say there are two prison cells, two prison cells in close location to each other with a little window, and through that window, the two prison cells face each other. Inside the one prison cell, and it's a small one, are nine people. And inside the other prison cell are 11 people. Nine in the one, 11 in the other, same size. What would be fair? It would be fair for the one with 11 to give one of their guys to the one with nine. Do you think that the nine people already cramped in this prison cell are going to say, hey, send us one of your guys. We've got space. That would be fair. Do you think they would do that? No. No even though it's fair, because they enjoy favor, they will hold on to that favor more than they will fairness. 
inside mankind is an inability to give up our own favor for the sake of fairness. Unless you are a Christian. This changes everything. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have a model, we have an example of one who chose to be treated unfairly for the sake of others, for the sake of the glory of God. He said, I will give up my rights, I will give up my position for the sake of the people that I want to bring to God. He made that decision. He extends that privilege to us. And let me tell you, it is a privilege. He extends it to us. If we continue living carnally, even though we are living with the favor of God, we will hold on to favor on earth. Whereas Jesus says, give up favor on earth for the sake of fairness, for the sake of justice. Treat others better than you would treat yourself. Let me read it to you from Scripture, and this is going to be my closing point now. This rings throughout the New Testament. It comes through strongly in Romans, and I'm going to read it from Philippians 2, verse 3 to 11. Paul is writing to this particular church, and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain deceit. Selfish ambition puts myself into a position of favor. Vain deceit puts myself into a position of favor, where I become the favorite, where I've got the latest thing, where I'm pushing the furthest, where I'm ahead of everybody else. He says, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. You pass on the favor. Let yourself rather be disadvantaged for the sake of others. He said, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality, fairness with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Nothing. He made himself nothing. I want to be somebody. I really do. I don't want to be nothing. Lord, if you make me somebody, I can do something for you. Let me rather be nobody if I can extend favor to others. Clashes within me so badly. Conflicts. I want to be great. And in my greatness, I want to say glory to God. God says, choose nothing. I will promote you. Put yourself into the position of being unfairly treated and watch how I pour my favor out on you. Don't hold on to, don't grasp onto these vain ambitions, onto these vain deceits. He says, choose, make yourself nothing. Like Jesus did. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. The most repulsive and the most disgraceful kind of death that you could experience. That's what he chose. That was unfair. That's what he chose. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every other name. 
Jesus chose the position of being unfairly treated. What did God do? He exalted him, resurrecting him from the grave, exalting him to the name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For what? For the glory of God the Father. Now, friends, as long as we don't have this kind of view of Jesus Christ, this high and elevated view of Jesus Christ, if we lift ourselves up as gods in our own eyes, we will hold on to favor. We will pursue favor. We will think it's our right, and we will feel entitled to it. The moment we say, Jesus, you are God, you know what is fair and unfair, and I know that when I uh, put myself low, when I humble myself, that in due time you will lift me up. And he does. That's in the Word of God. He promises that. That's what, he did. That's what God did with Jesus, and that's what he does with us. And so that's what we got to do. I think this is a wonderful lesson to learn out of Job. It's a wonderful truth which elevates Jesus Christ, and it's a wonderful thing that we need to be applying to our own lives. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because we still come down to eye level to compare the glasses. Who's got the fullest? Why must I have the lesser one? That's not fair. And we either compare and we complain with the people who are our peers, the one who are supposedly in the same boat as us, or we look at the one who poured the glasses. Why is that one less than that one? And we look at God and we say, God, that's not right. Whereas when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who took the form of a servant, who made himself nothing, then we say, Jesus, I can do the same thing. I can take the lesser glass every single time. Confidently, happily, rejoicing because of what Jesus has done and because of the future that I know he has for me. Sound okay? Do we need a bit of help with this? Let's stand and pray.